I could start off and ask you, how many of you love to sing? And I think I probably already know maybe the answer, and some of you probably do love to sing, but maybe you don't like to sing in church for a variety of reasons. When I think of singing, and I especially think of singing in church or singing among other believers, I have some vivid memories that just jump to my mind. I think of the Christmas season when I was growing up, and the other day, somebody asked, what was your Christmas traditions? Well, ours on Christmas Eve is we went to church, and that was our Christmas Eve program for uh, the school that I went to, the Christian school. And so it was just packed. I would say there was probably over 1,000 people there that evening on Christmas Eve, and it usually was about 7 o'clock in the evening. And we as students, we were down in the basement, and we were ready to do the processional and one of the things I always remember was just the power and the majesty of that moment. And we, we had these big open doors, and our organ was behind, um, sort of in the balcony area. But we would open up the doors, and a processional would start. And there was these big banners that were being carried in. There was probably a half a dozen or so. And the banners would go up front, all Christmassy and stars and Tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. And then there would be the singing. And I always remember one of the songs because it had my mom's name in it. And I thought, oh, that is so cool. We're singing to Gloria. And it was angels we have heard on high and we'd be singing. Oh, I said I wasn't going to sing, so I'm not going to. But Gloria in excelsior Deo. Glory to God in the highest. And it was just so full of majesty and power. And I would go home and I'd say, Mom, isn't that so cool? We're singing to you. But we were singing to the glory of God and we were singing joy to the world. I remember going off to seminary. And at seminary at Dallas, we had a hymn that was sort of our school anthem. And it was all hail the power of Jesus' name. And in just the, again, maybe 700 to 1,000 people in the auditorium, mostly men, and there was nothing like hearing us sing, especially on routine special occasions or spiritual renewal weeks, just the men to be shouting out, all hail the name, of, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. And then... I remember going to one of my first promise keepers and 60,000 men there. And I think it was towards the end. And I, we sang two powerful hymns, How Great Thou Art and Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it just touched my soul in such a way that I said to myself, Mark, why don't you sing more often? You see, I am convinced that what most of us should be doing is singing, but most of us don't sing. And I, I sort of took off this week, and I just sort of said, what, Lord? Why don't we sing? Because that is what we as Christians should do. We should be joyful, happy people who love to sing. And I was reflecting on all those times where I had these vivid memories that were memories where it was like I was almost in heaven itself. Yesterday at uh, the funeral for Vicki's dad and 
Kay did a great job playing and at the end singing, I'll fly away. And I found myself the rest of the day just singing that song, I'll fly away. And I look forward to that day when I go and and face to face with my Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, this morning what we want to do is we want to look at the Christmas story, but we want to look at it through a different angle, a different lens. The reason that this series is so important is because I believe we all should have joy. God created us for joy, and our joy blesses others. And I believe joy is contagious. Uh, there, there's a lot of people that are sick right now with the cold and, and, and sniffles and fevers and all that stuff that sort of comes with this time of the year. And people are contagious. I, and I believe we as Christians, we should be contagious as well. A, a joyful contagious spirit because God created us for joy and our joy does bless others. So if you would, let's turn to Luke chapter 2. I'm not going to do any PowerPoint this morning. I would encourage you, hopefully if you have a program, I'm going to be in some different verses that I've been studying and I want us to just sort of just see what the scripture has to say about this topic of singing and and maybe why Isaac Watts said, let heaven and nature sing, and he repeated it and and made it the the refrain of the great hymn, Joy to the World. Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. And if you've found Luke chapter 2, you'll know it's on the heels of the birth announcements of of two important figures. Uh, One is John the Baptist and the other is Jesus Christ himself. And it's built, it's interesting, on two hymns, two songs, the song of Mary and the song of Zechariah. And all of those proclaim what we were even singing about this morning, the salvation, the joy, uh, the light that Christ came to bring, the forgiveness and and then we come to Luke chapter 2. And what I want you to, to sort of do this morning is put yourself in the place of Mary, of Joseph, of the shepherds. It says in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. It was sort of a taxation time, it was sort of tax day. It says this was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went out to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went out from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, or the one he was engaged to, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. And, and just think about this Christmas story. There is humility. There is grace. It's not what we're thinking about with a noble birth. In fact, in those days, like Augustus, when, when he would have a child or when he would go around, he, he would be basically saying the same thing that we see in this birth anno- announcement, you know? Good news! The Savior is here. Christ is here. The Lord is here. The King of Kings is here. And he would be saying it of himself or he'd be saying it of his son that was born. 
And here we have the true King of Kings and the Lord of Lords being born to Mary and Joseph, who I can imagine were lonely. They were tired. They were scared. They were fearful. Their life was filled with so much uncertainty, but they're being faithful. They're being obedient. And here's the heart of what we want to talk about this morning. It says, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Just put yourself right there for a moment. You're one of the shepherds. You're, you're, you're sort of on the outside. Some commentators say that the shepherds were looked down upon, but others disagree with that statement because obviously Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. But the shepherds definitely, they were in the fields. They weren't in the temple. That's where you would think a, a savior would be born, a king would be born, would be in the temple or among power and prestige. And so the shepherds are out in the fields and they were preparing lambs. In fact, uh, some writers say that they would prepare over 30,000 lambs to be sacrificed for the Passover. And so their, their job, so to speak, was preparing people to worship, yet they were on the outside looking in. They were out in the fields, not in the temple. And then it says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them, which is quite different from the other two announcements in Luke chapter 1 where angel Gabriel is mentioned because I think the focus is not on the angel, but it is on the announcement. And it says, and the glory of the Lord showed around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Of great joy, which will be for all people. You see, I, I'm getting, the older I, I get and the more I do Christmas, I, I think the theme of Christmas always should be church and the Christmas story and Christianity. It, it should be a place where there is no judgment, just joy. No judgment, just joy, because God is stepping into history, bringing us good news bringing us truth that will change our lives. And then notice what this good news is. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. God himself coming down in a humble form, going basically to a farm, to the fields, Notice verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and, and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured all these things in her heart, pondering them in, their, in her heart. And Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. 
And notice verse 20, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, for they had all heard and seen as it had been said to them. Uh, the title of the series is Joy to the World, and it is Capture the Wonder of the Season, and to capture the wonder of Christmas. And, and it's so interesting, you, you see wonder used in Luke 1 and Luke 2, because this is an amazing story. This is, this is like the best story ever. It's, it's changing the way we view history. And again, some people, when they read the Old Testament, they, they see law, they see judgment, they see fear, they see a God who, who is very, maybe in some eyes, very judgmental. But what we know about the Christmas story is that Jesus Christ came and he was full of grace and he was full of truth. And I think that the announcement here is telling us something. A new era has just begun. With God, the salvation coming to earth, there has a new time filled again with grace, with humility, with peace, with joy, with gladness that should cause not only believers to sing, but the whole world to sing and to be more filled with joy and excitement. A couple of truths I want us to see in this passage before we look at some other passages that relate to the singing. The first thing I think you should notice, it says that the shepherds were filled with fear. And I don't know why my translation doesn't use it, but there's actually a Greek word before the word fear, which says that they were filled with great fear or much fear or a lot of fear. And it's interesting, it is contrasted with the good news of great joy or much joy or filled with large amounts of joy. I think this is a message for all of us during this time of year. We need to ask ourselves, are we more filled with fear or are we more filled with joy. You see, the good news, which is Jesus Christ died on the cross and gives us forgiveness. Brian did an excellent job last week talking about how God wants to welcome us. And he looks at our strengths and our weaknesses. And there was a part in, in Brian's message where he talked about the forgiveness of sins and how God forgives you and welcomes you and receives you. That is the good news of, of Jesus Christ. In fact, as I, I, I've been thinking over and over again about this Christmas season of, of no judgment, just joy, I'm just like, why wouldn't everyone want to be a Christian? There is hope, there is peace, there is joy, there is love, there is acceptance. There's the forgiveness of sins. There's a change of our identity. We were once in darkness, but now we have seen the light, and there's a transfer that occurs. So these shepherds hear the good news that they shouldn't have fear, but they should have joy. You see, I believe when we sing, we reflect the fact that we're not fearful, but that we are joyful. And we're going to see that in just a second. The other thing that jumps out at me is the shepherds and the angels. They're both seen praising God. And when we think of angels, we think of God's most exalted beings, and, and they're high up. And like I said, some people considered 
shepherds to, to sort of be on the low end, but uh, they're very humble people. And it's amazing that in Luke 2.14, when they're singing glory to God in the highest, and then the shepherds sing in Luke 2.20, and they're praising God, that we have a picture of what it means, let heaven and nature totally sing where we have the exalted ones and the average Joes both praising and thanking God for who he is and the salvation that he has come to bring. But specifically, and this is why I chose this text, look at verse 13. Notice again, and there was suddenly an angel with actually a, an army we call it a multitude because it probably doesn't seem right. Why, why is there an army of angels? Because I believe when Jesus Christ came, he came sort of to, to make war because he's coming to change the perspective that so many humans have that think that God is against them and, and God isn't for them versus God being for them and wanting them to experience great joy. But notice what it says, and it says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This song is sung in such a way that there are three key elements to it, that one word is described by another word. So for example, two words that go together is glory and peace. Why are we praising God? Why are they praising God to begin with? Because he is bringing peace. That means there's going to be reconciliation. The forgiveness of sins, the grace. And so we sing glory to God because of the peace that he brings and the acceptance and the forgiveness of sins. But notice then we have the separation, glory to God in the highest. Some have glory to God in the heavens. And why are the heavens singing? Because again, God has come with the gospel and the good news and brought it down to earth. But here's the truth that we need to see who God is. You got God and then the explanation among those with whom he is pleased, or he has granted his favor, or he has literally granted his grace. One of the reasons that Psalm 98, which joy to the world is built upon, says that we should burst forth with joy is because God looked down upon us in our sin and our brokenness and our pain, and he's offering us grace and forgiveness and reconciliation. And Luke 2, 13 and 14 is probably the clearest picture you will ever see of let heaven and nature sing. Let angels and shepherds sing. I, I think it would be today, let angels and let every believer in Christ Jesus, let them sing because of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want us to turn to the book of songs. I want us to turn to Psalm 47. Psalm 47. 
and we're going to look at a, a couple of psalms here, and you may want to write them down um, to go back and look at later. Psalm 47. Because some of you may be asking yourself, okay, Mark, this singing, I, I get it, angels sing. I, I don't know if I quite get that the shepherds were singing, but I still wonder why I should be singing. And I think that what we need to see is that throughout Scripture, singing is the natural response to salvation. Singing is the natural response to understanding the freedom and the salvation that we have in God. Notice Psalm 47 Verse 6, it says, sing praises to God. Sing praises. Now, my translation has an exclamation point that is added. It's a point of emphasis. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. The expectation of God's people is that they will sing. And that they will sing and that they will sing, and that they will sing because they are grateful for the salvation that they have in God. Turn over to Psalm 96. Psalm 96. Psalm 96, verse 1. Psalm 96, verse 1, and again, this is written in such a way, it's a song, it's a hymn, it's poetic, and there's a rhythm to it, and maybe you can see it, but the emphasis is clearly on singing. Notice Psalm 96, verse 1 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Verse 2, sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. Again, this is pre-Christ. This is pre-really understanding the forgiveness of sins. It is pre-understanding that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the expectation is that God's people... The Israelites in this situation, but all people will sing. Now, as I've mentioned over and over again, Psalm 98 is what joy to the world is based upon. And I think that when Isaac Watts was contemplating how to write this, this great hymn, Joy to the World, and when he repeated, let heaven and nature sing, let heaven and nature sing, let heaven and nature sing, he has to be thinking about verse 4 where it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Break forth and sing praises. What's very interesting, you, you look at this psalm and you look at some of the songs we sang today, there is a time that is coming when everyone will be singing praise to the Lord. Every knee will bow, believer and unbeliever, and they will have to be singing praise to the good Lord because the Lord deserves our praise. Psalm 100. Psalm 100. 
Notice this. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. And then it says, serve the Lord with gladness. Literally, worship the Lord with gladness, some of your translations might say, because it takes effort. It takes work. And for a Jewish person, there was a lot of work and effort that went into their worship services. And we are to do it with a, with a glad heart, a smiling heart, a joyful heart. But notice what it says. It says, come into his presence with singing. When I first came here, I used to say, remember, worship begins on Saturday night, and people got a little bit confused, saying, oh, we're doing a Saturday night service? And I was trying to say, no. Our worship of the Lord actually begins on Monday, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, (laughs) and Friday. And so we don't come to worship, we come worshiping. We come into his presence singing. And praising him. So why should we sing? I think we should sing because the biblical expectation of God's people is that they will sing and that they will praise God. I I don't want to be as, as harsh to say that if you don't sing, maybe it reflects that you don't really believe in God. But I, I think that's a little too harsh because some of us maybe grew up not just liking to sing or for whatever reason singing wasn't a natural part. But there is some truth about just how your heart is and how you view God and how you view the salvation and how you view this Christmas season and how you view the joy of the Lord. I'll never forget, I went to a conference probably 25 years ago by Rick Warren at Saddleback in, in California. And I'll never forget, he, he always said that, he, he said, you can tell when revival is coming to a church when you can notice the singing, when everybody is singing, when everybody's excited about singing, when there's, when there's joy in the singing. He said revival is coming when singing. And and I think about some of the great hymns that I enjoy. They came during times and periods of, of revival because God's people, when God touches their heart, they want to sing and they want to praise him and they want to worship him. But you may say, you know, Mark, um, my life is very difficult. <laughs> I got a lot of pain, um, heartache. I'm dealing with loss. I'm dealing with a broken relationship, things just aren't working out right, you, you fill in the blank, uh, why should I really sing? I just want to share a couple of stories. If, if you know where to find Second Chronicles, it's in the Old Testament, and when you get First and Second Samuel together, and then you'll have First and Second Kings, and then you'll have First and Second Chronicles, I want you to turn to Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles, chapter 20. And this is a powerful story of why we should always sing, even when we're sort of in the blues or in the dumps. And without reading the whole story, you need to understand the, the context. There was King Jehos- Jehoshaphat, 
who was of Judah, and they were under attack by surrounding nations, and they were afraid because these nations were taunting them, and they were saying that they were going to kill them and wipe them out and take over their land and, and steal their family and their livelihood. And then the Spirit of the Lord shows up. As they're praying to the Lord and seeking his face. And notice verse 15. It says, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. And do not be dismayed at this great horde. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Now, I don't know what you would do if, if I looked at each of you. And maybe I had a spoken word for you. And I, I said, you know that trouble you're, you're facing? It, that, that's not your trouble. It, that, that's the Lord's battle. And, and the Lord is going to fight for you. Well, the first thing that would be required is for you to have faith and trust that the Lord is going to fight this battle. But then there needs to be a response. And notice the response in verse 18. Um, actually, a little bit before it, in verse 17, towards the end, it says, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Again, that's a message for all of us. Don't be afraid. Have great joy. The Lord is with us. He's fighting for us. Verse 18, Then Jeho Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites... Notice what it did. They stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. Put your faith in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And then notice verse 21. And when they had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in his holy attire. And as they went before the army and they sang, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of the tribes that they were fighting. What a wonderful picture of how singing and worship and praise reflects our faith and our trust in our Lord our God to provide for us. There's been a couple of things that I've been looking at, and I remember I like watching the History Channel, and I thought I remember one time remembering when they, they took a time out during the Civil War, and both sides, the, the South and the North, they were singing hymns back and forth to each other, and so I was sort of looking that up, and, and I couldn't find it, but then I did find that during World War I in 1914, I think one of the popes said there needs to be a truce so that the people can celebrate Christmas Eve and Christmas. And so the Germans and the British got together, some say on a soccer field, and they set up Christmas. And this is one account of it. It says, When the truce began with carol singing from the trenches on Christmas Eve, a beautiful moonlit night, frost on the ground, white almost everywhere. 
And then one of the privates recalled what happened. He said, first the Germans would sing one of their carols, and then we would sing one of ours, until when we started up, Oh, come all ye faithful. The Germans then immediately join in singing the same hymn to the Latin words. Can you imagine that? There, there are millions of people died in World War I, and the Germans and the British, they come together, and they're praising God, and they're singing Christmas hymns. Oh, come, all ye faithful. The battle hymn of the Republic. Some of you like to hear that sung or to, to, to watch it being sung, or some of you maybe actually like to play it and hear it. And it's sort of interesting, again, what I did find during the Civil War, singing of hymns and music was so important to both sides. And most had, just sort of like in the scripture we just read, most had choirs and teams assigned to sing and to lead the music. And this was one Civil War hymn book that was collected, and this is what the author said. He said, music reminds refines the taste, purifies the heart, and elevates our nature. It does more. It soothes in sorrow, tranquilizes in passion, and wears away the irritabilities of life. It intensifies love. It fires the patriotism. It makes the altar of our devotion burn with a purer, holier flame. When wealth and fame and worldly honor are felt to be nothing, when the aims and ambitions and aspirations which were wont to, to rose up the energies of our nature toward their accomplishment fail of their accustomed power. Music renders the burden of the sickness light and makes all oblivious of the pain and suffering. And I don't know about you, but music does send a message that we are trusting in the Lord and we are fighting the battle. I talk about yesterday singing I'll Fly Away. I'll never forget at my mom's funeral. And again, my mom was a state representative. And so, again, this church I grew up in probably seated close to 1,000 people. And it was, it was full. And we sang a great classic written by Martin Luther himself, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And I remember afterwards, um, one of the people that went to my church there that had come to the service, and they, they were just blown away with everybody singing, a mighty fortress is our God. And, and I took that away to say, yes, God is our refuge. God is our strength. He's our pillar in times of trouble and suffering and pain. And I'll never forget... waiting for Marcus to be born in December of 2003. And again, in our story, we knew that Marcus would not live after he was born. And after Michelle had carried him full term and we were waiting for him to be born and we had a lot of tears and praying, I remember singing. Again, I tried to sing to you a couple times. I can't sing, but I sang because it soothed my soul. 
And I know one of the songs we sang in his memorial service, and I know it was probably one of the songs that I sang was, Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There was another song that was popular then. It was based on James 1. It talks about our good and beautiful God, and he gives good and beautiful gifts. And, and I remember singing that, and I probably didn't sing it, but Jars of Clay had a song, the Valley Song, and I would listen to it, and I know we played that at our memorial service as well, to, to allow my soul to be prepared and nurtured to face the battle that was before me. And I could spend the rest of the morning going through Scripture and trying to convince you to sing, but I pray, and my heart's desire is that you will open up the Word of, your, word of God yourself and just look up singing and Google what does it mean to sing to the Lord in Scripture, and you'll find all these examples of why Singing is good. If you, if you have the program this morning, I, I list some of the benefits of singing, which, by the way, will help some of us with our colds and our flu. It actually helps the immune system to sing. It helps alleviate uh, stress and depression to sing, so maybe I'll save you a few counseling dollars there. But you know what else it does? It allows you to connect with God's people. And that's probably why in the book of Ephesians and Colossians, Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does that look like? Well, we address one another in hymns and spiritual songs, and we sing together, and we make melody, and we make joy in our lives because that's what good and healthy and strong churches do that love the Lord and worship Him.